what we know not that you'll teach us and what we are not you'll make us. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, when I was growing up, I remember as a boy playing uh, lots of kind of little uh, different games. Um, but one of the kind of games we used to play was uh, when there was good guys and bad guys. And it was always pretty clear who were the good guys and who were the bad guys and who was meant to win. The good guys were always meant to win. And so we'd play a game called Cops and Robbers. I don't really know what the point of the game was, apart from probably you know, the robbers stealing something and the, and the policemen catching them. But it was pretty clear. The cops were always meant to win. They were the good guys. And that, of course, if you watch movies, often they're around the whole idea of a hero and a villain. And it's always clear who the hero is and who the villain is. And it's always very clear who's meant to go home, the good guy and the hero. And so when it comes to this story of the Pharisee and the tax collector... It would have been very clear to those who are listening to the story that Jesus told who was the good guy and who was the bad guy and in their mind who was meant to go home, kind of the hero or the good guy or the, the winner if you like. But Jesus really, he turns that on its head, doesn't he? And so we need to work out why is it that the bad guy goes home, if you like, the winner or friends with God and not the good guy? Why does the bad guy go home friends with God and not the good guy? Because that's the way it turns out. Again, we need to look at why Jesus is telling the story and Luke's helping us by telling us who's listening to the story. So Luke tells us in Luke 18 verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Some who were confident of their own righteousness, that is their own right standing with God, and it seems as if as a result of that, that meant they looked down on everyone else. They were self-righteous. So to understand what Jesus is trying to get us to understand we need to look at these two men. So firstly, the Pharisee that Jesus talks about, um, who prays. Now, in the eyes of kind of good and decent people, the Pharisee would have been seen as the kind of moral and religious success of the time. That's the thing people would have been thinking immediately when Jesus started talking about a Pharisee. He would have been a man who prayed. Uh, he would have been a man who lived a great example in his life. He would have been a man who had integrity in his workplace where people really respected him for that. He wasn't the kind of guy that kind of prayed to God in church on Sunday and then went around preying on others and using them for his own gain. If, you gave, if he gave you his word, you could count on it. And his success was not just based on what he didn't do either. Because you notice he fasted twice a week, not just what he had to do. He tithed, he gave from his yearly wage, not just the tax like everyone else, he was giving above that. He was earnest in his religious practice, wasn't he? Sincere and, and genuine. I mean, he had to be serious about his faith to make 
his life probably more uncomfortable than it would have been otherwise by the fact that he gave so much away. You could say God was to, as real to him as the money in his pocket was, genuine in his religious practice and fervour. And you see in the story even the tax collector looked up to him. He stood at a distance from this man as if he wasn't worthy to be in his presence somehow. And so in the story, it's not hard to see who the good guy is. It's the Pharisee. And then Jesus talks about a tax collector. And you might be thinking by the nature of the tax collector's prayer that, okay, he's a good-natured guy, willing to admit his limitations. But actually... As you may know, in the days of uh, Jesus, the Romans were in charge and they they sold the right to tax people. And so you could buy that right and then basically exercise it in any way you wanted to. And there's sort of no governing body to make sure you do that with integrity. No sort of current affair program that would do an expose to show how corrupt you would, you know, chase you down the street with a camera and then you push them out of, you know, all those scenes and they slam the door as they're trying to get, none of that sort of thing. It was a case of, yes, the Romans were happy if you took some tax and gave some to them, but they turned a blind eye to the practice of you taking some for yourself as well. In fact, you might have heard this is a historian called Tacitus, a historian of the time, And he said that there was once an honest tax collector found, just once. And so it was so rare that in the community he was, there was a monument erected in honour of him because it was so rare. That's the kind of people the tax collectors were. Seen as a traitor or an outcast. And, you know, we've got elections coming up. They're not the kind of candidates that you'd be rushing to vote for to get into parliament, to lead you. So there's the picture of this Pharisee and this tax collector. Clear who's the good guy, clear who's the bad guy. And so we have a problem though, because at the end of the story, as I said, the bad guy goes home friends with God, like he has the right standing with God, and the good guy doesn't, even though he thinks he has a right standing with God, based on his own self-righteousness. So why does Jesus make this statement about him? I tell you the truth, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. Why does Jesus do this? I mean, you have to go a little bit deeper because, yes, both men are, are in church. That's got to be a good thing. Both men are praying. I mean, is Jesus giving the Pharisees that are low marks for praying. You think, well, no, he's into praying. It's in the prayer itself, isn't there? There's a problem. And you might think if you're going to give some advice to the Pharisee, you'd probably say, look, mate, you need to just kind of tone it down a little bit. You know, you're, you're a little bit conceited. And especially in Australia, we don't like that, do we? We're sort of instantly thinking of him as kind of the tall poppy you've got to chop down. You might have heard of the story of Muhammad Ali, you know, that famous uh, former heavyweight boxing champion of the world. Great title. You can imagine kind of what 
you kind of carried with that in your, your attitude. And one day he was on a plane about to take off and the flight attendant came down the aisle and, and noticed that he didn't have his seatbelt on. And so she just gently said, look, Mr Muhammad Ali, would you mind putting your seatbelt on? And he looked up and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And kind of with, within a flash... The flight attendant responded and said, yes, and Superman don't need no plane either, so put your seatbelt on. <laughs> you know, a tendency to think more highly of yourself than you ought, a tendency to exalt yourself, and with that kind of title, you know, boxing champion of the world, it's no wonder that you can get to that kind of place. And so it seems that's where the Pharisee is. It's not like he's badly mistaken, so he needs a little bit of advice. When you pray, just pray a little bit differently because the way you pray in public is not good. No, it's, it's more than that, isn't it? For Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humble and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Did you notice how many eyes were in the prayer of the Pharisee? Not how many eyes the Pharisee has, but just the, the I statements that he makes in that prayer. I did this and I did that and I haven't done that and I have done this. He's exalting himself. He was self-righteous or proud. So the people who are listening are represented in this Pharisee. Imagine what this provokes in them, the thoughts and feelings they have all of a sudden because what, of what Jesus is directly saying to them. You will be humbled. I remember I grew up um, in the northern beaches in a place called Collaroy and we're pretty close to the beach, probably a, a 10 or 15 minute walk to the beach and I went to school in the same suburb and so uh, there's a whole bunch of us who really live quite, well, very close to the, to the beach. But at that school and in my year, there were some other, other boys as well who, who um, loved to surf as much as we did, in fact, maybe more so. But they lived in like suburbs like French's Forest or Forestville. So they were about 15 minutes drive away from the beach. So, of course, because of that geographical distance, we called them Westies. <laughs> Imagine what we thought of people in Blacktown. I mean, we didn't even really know Blacktown existed. Imagine what we thought of people in Cherrybrook. We, we, there, was a, there was a line. We had to find some way of putting ourselves above others. And for us, on the beach, that's how we did it. Even though reality was most of them were way better surfers than we were. But we have that tendency, don't we, to exalt ourselves and find some way of making ourselves above others. And like the Pharisee, we as humans can tend to do what he does. Do this in terms of our standing before God or in the eyes of God. As if the Pharisee is saying, I'm doing so well... I deserve your blessing or your favour and you owe it to me. 
but it's more than that, isn't it? It's as though he thinks God's already given him everything and this right standing. It's as though he thinks, and maybe we do as well, and many people do, think that God operates kind of on a system of cosmic or heavenly scales. And these scales weigh up the good we do and the bad we do, and, and when it all pans out, well, our good outweighs our bad. And so God, of course, should look upon us as if we're justified. And it's easy, isn't it, even as people who come to church, or maybe especially as people who come to church, to even have that sort of tendency. But it's not the right way of thinking, the Bible says, because those things on the outside, whether they're the good or the bad, are are really the symptoms of what's going on on the inside. You know, they say you can only get chicken pox once. I remember as a kid actually having it twice as a young boy and then as a teenager. But you can imagine me having chicken pox and, you know, those sort of horrible, whatever you get, sores on you, me thinking, okay, I'm going to fix this by putting Band-Aids all over myself and my hair as well and, of course, because you get them everywhere and thinking, okay, I've got, that, got them covered, disease sorted. That'd be wrong thinking, wouldn't it? Because the disease actually is in the blood. It's on the inside. It's like us thinking we can address our problem from the outside just address the symptoms when actually fact it's a deep problem within us. You might have heard it said that there's two forms of, of our disease of sin, two ways they're expressed. I think the way we tend to think of it is that the first way of being very bad and breaking all the rules. I think that's the category we default to in terms of what a sinner is, being very bad and breaking all the rules. But actually, the second way it can be expressed that we see in the Pharisee actually is, being very good, keeping all the rules and becoming self-righteous. Because either way, you're saying you don't need God. You might believe he exists in the second category but you really act as if you don't need him because you can be good enough on your own as tim keller says if you're avoiding doing the wrong thing and living morally so that god will have to bless you and save you then you're trusting in your own goodness rather than jesus it's like you're building a resume to present to god to be accepted But hear the words of Jesus, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And so you have the tax collector, he humbled himself. He admitted he was needy, that he needed help. He came and he didn't present anything to God, especially not himself, only in the sense that he needed God's mercy. As if he's saying, I don't have anything to claim which would deserve your favour. He went to the temple and he faced up to God. And facing up to God, he faced up to him, himself and his sin. Facing up to his sin, he saw his need. 
seeing that need, he cried out to God for mercy. This is a mark of a person who knows God. They admit their failures first, not their successes. This tax collector knew he couldn't do it himself. He was humble. He didn't come from looking at what other people thought of him either. It was in the eyes of God, coming to God to be right with him and have a friendship with him, is approaching him in the same way as the tax collector. He realised the only thing he had is that he didn't have anything. Jesus says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's really the difference between having a DIY approach to God or a God does it approach to God. There was a report a number of years ago uh, looking into the statistics of the injuries that people did to themselves as a result of DIY projects. And this report I was reading came out of England. In fact, it said in this particular year there was 14 recorded incidents of people who injured themselves just over the Easter break, 1,400 people. And then over the year, there's about 200,000 people who reported injuries as a result of DIY projects. And actually, there were 70 deaths. Now, this is good for someone like me to hear because I'm very bad with my hands. But I did hear a great story of, of a, a, a guy in Queensland and he was in his car and he drove past his house and there was a big hedge and there was a man who obviously owned the house cutting the hedge, trimming it back and his method was holding up the lawnmower to... and this guy thought, oh, what a great idea. The next time they met each other was in the emergency ward in, in hospital. Uh, the report that I read went on to say that instructions are important. Mostly that's for men, I suspect. It says instructions should always be followed and extra care taken with power tools. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Consumer Minister Melanie Johnson said, doing jobs yourself around the home can be fun and saves money. But before you start any job, you need to weigh it up and decide whether it is something you can manage yourself or whether you need to get in the experts. Cutting corners could mean putting yourself at risk and it can end up costing more than you think. Your fingers, for example, or something else. She didn't say that, I just, just added that. But you need to entrust yourself to the expert when you've got a job to do. You know, all major religions hold out an expert and that expert, teacher, whatever they are, they show you the way and then you've got to go and do it to make it, whatever the make it is, whatever, however they define that. Only Jesus claimed to be the way. Don't do and then you've, you get in but actually 
No, you can't do anything. And ask for mercy. Receive grace. And as the story unfolds, we know Jesus did all that was necessary by dying on the cross, giving his life to deal with our very diseased heart, full of sin, producing sin. And so the only right response is the response of the tax collector, Lord, have mercy. There's that famous line in that hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You may have known that Franklin Graham's been doing a tour of Australia and just finished up last night and I just heard a friend say there was hundreds of people who went forward last night, thousands of people across the country in response to the gospel. And I just have this picture because I went to the Billy Graham crusade in 1979 when I was nine. And when he preached, I heard the call, including the buses will wait, and the hymn played, Just As I Am, and I nudged my dad and said, I want to go down the front. And I had a picture of, of last night and over the many nights in Australia of people coming forward and like the tax collector, coming forward to ask for mercy from God and God exalting them. In that very moment, they could hear the words of Jesus you are justified before God on the basis of what Jesus came, what Jesus did. Jesus came to provide the very mercy that this tax collector cried out for. He was the one who did what was needed to show God's mercy, the tax collector cried out for. He died. Very simple, isn't it? Verse 14, this man went home justified before God. The tax collector goes away friends with God and the Pharisee doesn't. The bad guy goes home friends with God and the good guy doesn't. Just like these men, we've come to church this morning. And it isn't really so much about how you came to church, but it's about how you'll leave Will you leave recognising, maybe for the first time, but maybe for the millionth time, you need God's mercy? Will you cry out to God for the mercy that you need right now, knowing that it's provided in His Son, Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we, we pause to recognise that we are people who need your mercy. We need your mercy day by day. And we need your grace. Help us to humble ourselves before you. By your spirit, convict us Make us aware of when we're exalting ourselves 
so that we think on the basis of what we think about what we've done as being good. We have our own self-righteousness. Based upon your mercy, Father, help us to see ourselves as you do, as justified because of Christ and his death for us. And when we fail, seek that mercy afresh, knowing that it's guaranteed because of the death of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.